You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 125. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I have a special announcement in this episode. This will be the first time I have been able to share with you the fact that I have a new vlog out ready for you, a video blog post, if you will. It is all about my favorite spots in Ann Arbor. I take you from the moment that I wake up on a Saturday morning at 8.30, no makeup, (laughs) hair is not done, until late in the afternoon, showing you my favorite little spots that I like to hit up when I am having a lazy Saturday morning on my own with Ellie. So check it out if you're interested in seeing it. You can check it out at jesslively.com slash Ann Arbor vlog, V-L-O-G. And I just have to give a huge thank you to Megan of Pictory Productions for helping to really like nail this right at the start. I've been a little bit, you know, curious on how starting something like this would be. It's a pure passion project. I love watching Alex and Mimi icons vlogging myself. And I've just known I love to dabble in it. Let's see what it's like. And Megan has brought that to life. So thank you, Megan. Now let's move on to another Megan. In today's show, we're speaking with Meg Piercy of MegMade.com. Meg is a friend of mine I've known for several years. I met her in her garage in Chicago on a rainy Saturday morning, oh, so many years ago. I think it was probably two or three years ago while I was buying a dresser from her. I decided after reading her blog before I went to pick up my Craigslist dresser that I was going to be friends with her, and that actually did end up happening. She and her husband, Joe, are fantastic people that I am so grateful to call friends. They're very encouraging people, and I knew I've wanted to share Meg with you guys, and this is a perfect episode, but before I get into that, I also want to share the interesting thing about Meg. So when I met her, she was in the garage, right? Well, now it's been two years, I think, since that initial meeting. She now has outgrown several studio spaces since that point. Their refinished vintage furniture line at megmade.com is now in a 8,000 square foot studio in Chicago. It has been incredible to watch the rise of their business. Their pieces are incredible. They now have a great team helping them to do this all and get this out there into the world. They do ship across the country. So for anyone that's not in Chicago, you can still check that out too, which is good news. And in this episode, it's kind of perfect because we had Brene Brown on last week talking about Rising Strong, and Meg has actually been using the Rising Strong process and approach in her own life. So in the episode, we'll discuss very openly about her marriage and what it's like to work with her husband in Meg Made and why they're such big advocates for counseling. And we're going to discuss why she's been detaching her self-worth from motherhood, marriage, and career. Let's go to the show. Meg, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Glad to be here. First, let's start with your background. Tell us how you got to where you are. Yeah, so I've always had an interest in design and entrepreneurship. I grew up in a creative family in business. They were brave and they would go out on their own. And so I think they kind of created a sense of fearlessness in me. And then also growing up in Europe for a couple years, I just developed this love for just good designs. When my husband and I were recently married and I was working not for profit and he was starting off his business, we were looking for different ways to make money on the side to make ends meet. And we painted our son's changing table 
And oddly enough, I just really loved doing it. So we bought some different furniture with no envision and it becoming a business, just having fun doing it. Didn't need 12 dressers in our house. So we just started <laughs> selling them on Craigslist and lo and behold, people really wanted them. We look back at some of our first dressers and laugh because they weren't nearly the quality we have now, but they were selling like hotcakes. So eventually at your suggestion, when you bought your first piece out of my garage, we bit the bullet and signed our first lease for an 800 square foot space that I lost sleep over signing the lease on, which is funny because we grew out of it in a month. Since then, gosh, that was two years ago in November. We're now in an 8,000 square feet um, space with nine employees. And we've sold, I think, just over 3,000 pieces. It's just been a wild ride. I remember standing in that garage. It was kind of maybe like drizzling outside. Probably cold. (laughs) Yeah, I decided I was going to be your friend after reading your blog. (laughs) I know. My pathetic little blog. (laughs) Yes. And since then, you guys have blown up in this astronomical rise. So when it comes to the business, what do you think has been part of the success of it so quickly? I think that we were determined to make it work. And I am married to a dreamer and he would just dream big dreams that at the time sounded crazy to me. But in the back of my mind, I wanted to believe them. So we just acted on faith that what we believed was going to happen was going to happen. And we just took one step at a time and just doors opened and People were buying and we, we also, I mean, hit the painted furniture craze at the right time. So I think it was a mixture of timing plus passion and talent and living in a big city that just kind of made it um, grow really, really, really fast. When it comes to your life and business, you haven't shared yet, but you have two small boys and you're running this growing business at the same time. For all the working moms out there, do you have any tips or suggestions on how you make it work? I would say embrace the chaos because it is total chaos. But I would also say just stop and enjoy every moment of it because it's not worth taking either too seriously. So I would say for us personally, we already had one when we started the business. And then we have another little boy. He turns one this Sunday. And I I really try, and I, I use the word try, to keep work at work. And when the boys are awake, before they go to bed, I really try to play hard. So it's a work hard, play hard balance. But I wouldn't say it's the easiest road, but I would say that it's worth it. You can definitely do both. You're just not going to get a lot of sleep. (laughs) One of the things you just mentioned was that you don't take either too seriously. So when it comes to the business, what do you not take too seriously? I would say if I wanted to, I could probably stay up 24 hours a day, every day, just thinking of different things that I could change or do better or grow faster. But I think at the end of the day, I could grow faster, but then I would be doing that at the expense of my family, at the expense of my health. So I think at some point you just have to be happy with the rate of growth with the balance. Do you want your balance to be all work or do you want it to be balanced between family and work? And I just, I've chosen that, you know, our business can grow a little bit slower and that I spend that time at home at night. So you're not strategizing. You let that kind of go 
I just let it go because it's just not worth it. I used to do that and then I was missing out and I was, I was finding myself being more irritable around my son because my mind wouldn't be with him. And so I just decided it wasn't worth it for me personally to do that to him. On the motherhood side, what have you learned not to take too seriously? Oh my gosh. I don't know if you realize this, but I feel like there are so many books, so many blogs. There are so many markers that kids are supposed to be at. And it just keeps getting earlier and earlier and earlier. So I just decided as someone who gets really stressed out by parenting books, that I was just going to parent my child because it was the child that God gave me and I'm the perfect mom for him. And what I know in my instincts will hopefully work out for him because I just found everything to be so confusing because there's so many different ways that people say is the best way for parenting. So when I say not taking it too seriously, it means that I don't have a stack of books on my bedside table. I just rely on the fact that I think I, I have what it takes for the children that I was given. And I know Joe is a big part of the business. Would you mind explaining his aspects and what he's covering while you are working on other aspects of the business? I have the best husband in the entire world. I think a lot of people, sorry, girls would agree with me with that. But what he says he does is that he's my cheerleader. He's like, every day I get a brag about my wife. So he helps me with the marketing of the company, reaching out to different media. He also helps with the side that I just can't stand the accounting side. So he helps with the back end. And he really like along the way has done, I mean, gosh, we used to be our movers. We used to be our painters. So, I mean, of course, along the way, he's done all of that. But right now, his main role is managing the finances and helping to market the business. So he's really, really good at that. He is just such a joyful spirit and he loves to talk. As partners and co-founders of the business, I know you guys are together a lot. You and Joe are sharing a lot of your lives almost all of the day together. So how do you guys manage it in a way that doesn't make you guys go crazy? Good question, Jess. I would say that we've come a long way in that. I always like to say it where Joe and I have an amazing relationship, but I would also say that it hasn't always been that way. I would say we spend a lot of time together actually like a ton of time together. So we may fight more than most couples, but we have a lot more opportunities too. It's not only because we have more time to, it's because we're both entrepreneurs. We have two kids. Neither of us are from Chicago, so we don't have a lot of family help. So there's just a lot of opportunities to bicker and fight and I don't know, just be mad at each other. So what we decided, oh, about a year ago, we're very open just about our love for counseling. We think it is transformational, not only for our marriage, but personally for our business. We love it. I feel like everyone who knows us is now going to counseling because it's like all we talk about. Yeah. I think that having that person that can help us communicate, because I don't think that necessarily it was ever me and Joe being upset with each other. It was more how it was put across. We would be taking it wrong. Or there's so many factors that go into it, like upbringing or how your day was or how the kids were acting that can be then inflected into your tone. And maybe just the simple question of, are you going to load the dishwasher could come across as being mean-spirited when sometimes it just means like, are you going to load the dishwasher? You know, so I just think it was more our communication style. And so then 
um, having that third party help us to figure out different ways of communicating so that we weren't taking it offensively. Is there a particular story that you have that was the turning point for you guys to go into counseling a year ago? If I'm getting vulnerable here, I can be really honest when I say Joe and I have always been committed. We always knew that we could fight with each other because we knew that from the very get-go, Joe said, if you run, I'm running after you. So we've been very committed. But when we were about six months into the business and we were putting all of our eggs in one basket, we were putting all of the money we were making back into the business, things were really, really hard. And I wasn't my best self. I'll be really honest about that. My husband is definitely the one that is more stable. I think when waves are rising and things are shifting and things are uncertain, I come from a family that has like 2020 vacations already planned out. His family likes to, you know, get their plane tickets like the month before. So we just come from very different upbringings. So then being in a world of so many things shifting, I was kind of a mess if I'm honest with myself. So I think it was more without him saying, look, we need counseling because I can't like figure you out right now. I think that's really what it is if I were to be honest and look back as someone who is a lot more confident in, in their identity. If I look back, I was a mess. <laughs> I was also super hormonal. I had just had a baby. Like, come on. <laughs> Things weren't going well and he suggested it. Was there any resistance on your part? Because I could imagine people getting this idea and thinking it's great and then bringing it to their partner, but maybe facing some resistance on the other side. Yeah, I think my biggest fear in it is like, I don't want him, meaning the counselor, to like figure me out or something. Like, I don't know. I had this theory that he was going to like give me the googly eyes or something and be like, this is the truth about you. I was kind of like more afraid of what he was going to dig up when it wasn't like that at all. It was so challenging and encouraging all at the same time. But yeah, I think my biggest fear was I wasn't confident at all and who, and I don't think I really truly knew who I was. So I think I was fearful that I was going to lose myself in it instead of find myself through it. And that's what it's been like for you? It's definitely been like that. I think through both counseling together and individually, I think I'm able to make sense of both things from upbringing and struggles I had just either with friend groups or family or just self-doubt or things like that. I was very insecure. I think I was able to name those instead of letting my emotions drive who I am, letting the truth of who I am drive who I am. And through that, it has been transformational in our marriage. And I would say Joe would probably say the same thing that through just through our faith and through counseling, I would say that we're the most stable, best part of our marriage, but probably of our life. For anyone else, let's say someone's listening and they're like, I want to bring my partner to counseling and there is resistance. Do you have any tips on how someone might be able to help encourage the partner to join them? For us, we were both willing vessels because we were like, gosh, we need help. Like we're not able to work this out ourselves. But I would say from people that I've known in the past, I would say, you know, work on yourself first. Don't try to fix your spouse. I think that was a big lesson for me is I started going by myself and I started figuring things out about myself or triggers that I have or tones that I may give off. So I feel like maybe through working through on yourself, 
maybe whoever your significant other is will notice that difference in you and hopefully want, but I, it should never be used as a threat. I don't think that counseling should ever be used as a threat. It should be used as, as something that's an, a beneficial, like let's do this together or, you know, let me do it on my, my own. I don't think it should be used as we're doing counseling or else type of thing. I don't think that's going to get you anywhere. Yeah. And you guys were nowhere near ending the relationship. This is kind of a maintenance thing for you. It seems like going forward. I think so for sure. And we used to go two or three times a month. We're now going once a month after it's been a year and a half and we will go for the rest of our life. It's funny. My parents have seen the difference in it. And I think that from the people who are older than us and have been married a lot longer than us, they said that they wish they would have started it from day one because they would have learned tools before things erupted. Because everyone's going to have trials. Everyone's going to have failures. Ours are maybe bigger because our life depends on you know things going the right way right now. But everyone's going to have them. So it's like, how are you going to rise up to that challenge? How are you going to react? Is it going to make you or is it going to break you? And I think that the tools that we've learned and awesome that we've learned them together. So then when we're dealing with them, we have the same tools. So maybe someone's thinking, well, if you go to therapy and the therapist tells you, you should do X and you should do Y. So each have your own orders. And then you get home and someone's not doing X or Y. (laughs) That one of the arguments could become, we talked about this in therapy and you're supposed to be doing X and you're not. And then that kind of becomes its own argument. Is that true or is that false? Because I feel like some people might be having some hesitation on that. Oh, totally true and totally been there. But I think what I've learned is I can't expect anything from him, but I can expect things from myself. So I think that's true in all areas of life, though. Like if you want work to change, you can't want everyone around you at work to change and expect them, or I can't expect my three and a half year old and one year old to change. I need to change. I think at first, yes, for sure. Absolutely. And I'm probably more the culprit than him would be like, but he, you know, we talked about this and I mean, I'm 32 now. It took me 32 years to become the way I am. It's not going to take one counseling session to change. It's actually normally where everything kind of hits the fan after counseling because you've brought a lot of things up. It's just that you then have the tools to fight fair. Yeah. Is there anything that's been particularly useful for you guys that you could share for other people? Yeah, I think definitely not labeling things never saying you are, I would say another thing that's really helped with us is like, I sometimes can imagine the motive behind what he's saying. And so just by taking those three seconds and taking a deep breath and just asking myself, what's his motive, I think probably diminished our fights by 50%. Wow. So what's his motive? So if he says something like, did you load the dishwasher? You're questioning what his motive is? Yeah, because when you're in a fight and you're in, or you're just, you have that underlying current of like, don't mess up or it's going to erupt. It's just the tone then you're creating the motive in your head based off of the experience you've had over that day. And so, yeah, I think totally. What's the story behind this? Is he saying this because he's hurt? Is he saying this because he's mad? Is he saying this because he needs help? 
I just think it's so funny when I look back at why I would fight with him. It's he, it's like, why would he want to hurt me? He's married to me. We have kids together. We want this to work. He's not going to be saying things to me to try to be malicious or mean. I mean, I know that there are relationships out there where people do, in fact, do that. But from our history, I know that he would never try to hurt me or be mean to me. So if I'm reading that it's usually probably because I've created a story in my head. Obviously, every counseling is going to be its own unique experience, but I could imagine some people wondering what it's actually like to be in the room with a counselor. Can you share from your experience? For ours, our counselor's prepared when we go in. He has an exercise for us to walk through. And if we walk in and we're like, okay, this is what we need to talk about. And lately it's been about our three and a half year old because he is... Well, I think the new word for strong-willed is spirited. And he is like off the chart spirited. Lately, it's been walking in like, oh my gosh, how do I remain calm? So if we go in and we have a topic we want to discuss, we dive right in and he helps us and we kind of chart out, okay, are we operating this way because of hurt? Or are we and like, how can we replace that by operating out of love? So we'll go into that that way typically. But then if we're kind of, we come in and we're like, things are great we're not fighting, things at work are going well, our kids are doing great, this tool's really helped. He always has an assignment or questions ready for us. So, because I feel like sometimes my thought process is, I always have to have a problem when I go to counseling. But you don't. Like, you can just go sometimes and be like, okay, things are going well, let's talk. You know what I mean? And then he has an exercise to walk us through. And it's either watching a video or it's asking questions that may dig up things just about why we are the way we are. Cause I think probably the most impactful thing for me on me just becoming more sensitive to him and probably him to me is learning why maybe our triggers or our quirks, like why we are the way we are. And so diving more into that. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's very normal. It's not like you go in and you're crying or you're hypnotized. I mean, I know there are some that are like that, which is great too. I, I don't know anything about it. I'm sure it's wonderful, but ours is very normal. It's like three friends talking, just a mutual friend that doesn't take sides talking. It's like we're going out to lunch. Who do you think it would be good for? Everyone. I think whether you're, if you're young, um, talk to your parents about going. I, I just think it's healthy to have someone that you can process with that's going to both challenge you and encourage you because whether you're single, whether you're newly married, whether you have kids, whether you're old, whether you're widowed, divorced, anything, I just think that everyone can get something out of it. And as someone who is single, I can say I have been going to my own advisors or mentors or counselors over the years. And now I have two in particular that aren't traditional therapists per se, but I love going and getting that additional feedback on anything that might be coming up in my life to help me work through it so much faster than I would fumbling in the dark on my own. So I can totally attest even just going for solo help can be amazing. It's seen as a positive when you go to a business counselor, like to help you work through business development. It's seen as a positive when you want to learn a sport or an instrument that you go to someone to teach you. So I don't see why there's such a stigma around the biggest thing that people fight themselves, which is their own feelings about themselves. I don't know. I feel almost by being so honest and vulnerable about our experience, hopefully we're helping in our little part of the world break that stigma because I think that it, it's silly. 
So right now you're, like you said, you're not quite in your mid thirties yet. You're 32, but you've been sharing with me that you're going through a new phase of self-discovery. Can you tell us more about that? I always thought that like the thirties would be like where it's at, where I like figured myself out. And then I was like, oh, I turned 30 and I'm like, things haven't changed. I think now that I've just turned 32 and I don't think it matters what age you are, but for me, 32 over the last year, just through reading books and through counseling and through just diving really head on into my faith, I realized that I had so many misconceptions over who I really was. Like I tied so much of my self-worth to who I was in my family, to who I was as a wife or as a mother or as a business owner or how skinny I was. And the things about all of those is that they're all fleeting. So whether I fail in certain aspects of the business or in my marriage, I was tying that to I am a failure, not to that was a failure. Let's rise up from it. So I feel like I'm getting control more so than ever on just being more stable through it and really asking myself, okay, that happened. Does that define who I am? Let's weigh that against the truth. And then the truth always trumps the emotion in my book. If someone were to say, hey, you failed at this. Okay, well, maybe I did fail at that. And you are so right. Where in the past, I would defend myself because I did it. I was tying that to my self-worth, if that makes sense. Now I can say, oh, gosh, you are so right. I totally failed at that. Let's fix it and let's not do it again. It's such a healthier way to live, not only in marriage and not only just in in friendships in general. I feel like I maybe even lost some friendships over just being embarrassed by something I did rather than just apologizing for it. But as a business owner, as a boss, as a mom and sister, I mean, everything. It's really, and of course I revert sometimes, but then I'm so much quicker to get back on the right track. So just not letting when one of those aspects of my life tanks, not letting the whole ship go down. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. And actually I've been recognizing some themes in writing to my intuition more and more lately about this idea of failure. So I have shared the exercise of writing to your intuition many times before. And the back and forth that I have is from kind of my ego or that voice inside my head to this peaceful, still very wise part of me. And I actually recently decided to ask about this whole feeling of failure about writing the book on the timeline that I wanted to write it on, or I thought I should write on it. And I was like, I feel like a failure. I feel like I heard this so long ago and I still haven't done it. I failed at writing the book. And the answer that came back to me said, you have not written a book yet, but that is about not writing a book. There's no failure in not writing a book unless you put the term yet on it. Because just because you haven't done it doesn't mean you won't do it. And if you haven't done it now, there's no failure in now. It's just, it's not happened yet. I don't know. It's this really crazy, but very simple thing of like, the only way we can actually have failure is if we assign whatever the reality is as a failure. Does that make sense? No, I totally get it. And I think it's just not letting that failure dictate how you feel about yourself. Or we are dictating whether our circumstances are failures or not. Yeah. What is failure? Because it's just really at one stop in the road of your like roadmap of life. But even then, even if we look at that, the only way it fails is if we assign meaning of failure to our circumstances. Right. 
I completely agree. And I think that anyone who has a, what society deems as successful marriage or business or anything like that would say that those so-called failures are what made them successful. So maybe they aren't failures. Maybe they're just circumstances that make you stronger. Yeah. Or they're just circumstances your ego might not like. <laughs> Yeah, totally. It's not what we thought should happen. So we're shitting on ourselves. I always say that you're shitting all over yourself by saying that it should be this way. And the reality is life's just unfolding in every moment. And things are either happening or they're not. But the assignment of success or failure is self-derived, truly. It is because what someone sees as failure, someone else might not see that as failure. So, I mean, if you put the label on it, that's what it is. But if you don't put the label on it, I guess it it doesn't need to be that. I know. It's kind of like a construct. Like a squirrel does not know failure. (laughs) Right? All they know is they need to like pack the nuts away for winter. (laughs) Yeah. Or a child has to be taught what success and failure is. Obviously, children need to learn a lot of things. But innately, there's not this awareness of that until we're given the meaning behind it. Yeah. And I think I'm just now really starting to grasp that as my son is three and a half and, you know, in preschool and around other kids. I think and I would say if I'm honest with myself last week, I definitely was very insecure about it. Just that because he is so spirited and just strong-willed. I mean, I literally fought with him for 24 hours because he wanted ice cream so bad. And his strong will wanted it so bad, but I needed to stand my ground. And he can sometimes be like that with others, but then he loves so hard and he just he's just so amazing. But I found myself being embarrassed by his behavior in public when I had to really check myself because I don't want my child growing up ever thinking that I'm embarrassed by him because I want him growing up feeling, I feel like there's so many men, especially that don't have a whole lot of emotional intelligence. They don't know how to feel. I want my boys to not necessarily be like cry at the drop of a dime. I want them to feel emotions. I want them to be emotionally secure in themselves and so that they can then read the emotions that other people are having. But in that, I have to be secure in my parenting and the way that I'm raising my boys because it's really easy to get insecure when your children are doing something that maybe people are looking at or maybe they're being loud and target because they want a toy and mom says no. You know, just those kind of things. I really am finding myself being challenged in my security And I just feel like every single time I have a little triumph, I just like do a little like fist pump for myself. I'm like, yes, done. And I just get a little bit better every time. I think raising children has probably been one of the most challenging to my insecurities. So when it comes to redefining yourself, not by the circumstances or the outcomes in your life, as you shared earlier, what are you choosing to refocus on in those moments instead? That's a good question. And I think it's evolving for me, but I think that I'm defining the truth of who I am. And so a lot of that for me, I mean, it can come differently for everyone. A lot of it for me is I find a lot of my value in who I am as a Christian and as a follower, but it's also finding truth in who I am that my success or my failure doesn't depend on circumstances. You know, it depends on how I rise up the next day after something goes wrong and finding my identity and being an overcomer rather than defining myself by what I'm overcoming. I love that. Can you say that again? I'm really working on defining myself 
on being an overcomer rather than what I'm overcoming, I think is the biggest lesson I've learned. And what does that really mean if you could pull that apart a little bit more? For example, strangest thing happened. In September, our sales just tanked. We don't really know what happened, but they were half what they normally are. And so I feel like I was challenging myself on what happened. Like, what did I do? Why is everything going wrong? And then I caught myself and I was like, no, stay the course, stay steady, start working smart instead of hard and things will get better. Pray more, read more, like do what you love more because when I'm not fulfilled, I can't do my job well. And so I started focusing on things that would be productive rather than destructive. And because of that, we overcame September and had like an insane October. But it was because September happened that everyone in this place saw how me and Joe handled it. And instead of panicking, we grew from it. And so I felt like we then grew as overcomers instead of letting the situation dictate how we felt about ourselves is what maybe people would see as a failure that month. It was the first month in our two years of business that we weren't profitable, profitable since day one. And so it was the first month. And so that first day I was like, I just need to quit my job. I need to go back to the corporate world. And Joe was like, I'm going to let you just sit in your irrational behavior right now. But tomorrow let's talk about this. I need my bag back, you know? So, and the next day we rose strong and we overcame with our amazing team here with our growing marriage and just with our faith. It was just amazing. I love this example. And I'm going to try to help pull apart what you shared a bit more. So you said, when things got tough, I focused on myself more. And you mentioned reading and getting strong in your faith. Why do you think reading and getting strong in your faith actually made a better October? I think because when you focus on the problem, you're focusing on the problem. You're not focusing on the solution. So my last boss she would always say, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. And it's so easy to focus on what's going wrong. And so I just said, I'm putting an end to that. What's going wrong here is that I've lost control. So what brings me control? In some people, it's for being in the word. Some people, it's through working out. Some people, it's through spending time with friends. I remember having more lunches in September with friends and working out more than ever before. And so it was more about, I feel like when leadership is strong here, everyone feels supported and challenged. So there's always an equal part being supported, equal part challenged. And so I needed to put that into my own life and I wasn't supporting myself. I was only challenging myself as to why I was doing everything wrong. Does that make sense? So you supporting yourself by doing things that filled you up rather than blaming yourself and depleting yourself more. Yeah, because then it's just like chasing your tail. You're not being productive. You're just working hard. You're not working smart. By feeding myself good food, by feeding myself good conversations, um, by spending quality, intentional time with my kids, I then may be spending less time working, but I'm spending a lot more intentional time working because I have the tools 
I think a lot of it with me is, is when I have, like when I'm eating well and I'm exercising and I'm with my kids and I feel fulfilled, I am so much more disciplined and focused. So that's where I needed to get back to. I feel like I had been chasing my tail a lot. And I feel like because I was doing that and I'm, I'm kind of the head of the staff here and Joe and I were not doing well at home, everything was spiraling. And so the head of Joe and I being the head of the household and me the head at work, I needed to get myself in order. And then everything followed. That's something that came out of my book research so frequently is when people over-identify with their self-worth and work or they have some kind of thing presenting stress in their careers, often the response to that stressful thought is to work harder. And then I ask them, does that actually solve that root problem or concern or thought you have in your life? And they say, no, <laughs> I'm working harder and longer, but they always resonate 90, maybe 80% of the time with the phrase, I wish I worked smarter, not harder. I wish I was doing effective work rather than just putting more hours in in ways that weren't going to really turn the dial in a meaningful direction. And it sounds like that's kind of what you've stumbled on in your own life. I totally agree. And you can read it until the cows come home. But when you you need to like put it into your day. And like, I always joke when people like we always have about 300 dressers here at all times that are ready to paint. If I look at a piece and I'm like, I don't like that piece. I know that that piece is going to sit there for months because if I don't love it, I can't sell it. And so if I don't love myself, I'm not selling myself as who I truly am. I'm selling a nastier version of myself and it's going to take a lot longer for me to get anywhere I want to go. That is fascinating. Like if I love a piece or like, for example, I love Jess Lively. Like I could go and talk about Jess Lively forever because I love her. <laughs> but, and so everyone would know my love for Jess Lively and people would want to go to her podcast and her website and they'd want her to design her home because she's amazing, right? I can sell Jess Lively all day because I love her, but there might be something that I don't love. And I, I mean, it shows, I mean, we're all salespeople no matter what especially in today's age with Instagram and Facebook and all of that. So I don't know. It's really interesting because I think it translates into relationships too. I always say that. I'm like, paint it blue and gold and I can sell it all day. <laughs> because you love it. Because I love it. So what internal doubts or resistance are you currently facing in your life right now? I would say my internal resistance right now is where MegMade is going next and almost fearing the success it could possibly have because I want to be able to fully enjoy and handle it. But I don't know if that even makes sense because things have gone so fast and grown so fast that it's like there's so many different roads that we could take right now for growth that I'm almost, I don't even know which one to take. <laughs> yeah, how do you handle that doubt? I think one step at a time. So I don't want to make the wrong step. I don't want I don't want to take a step until I know it's the right one. And so far, the door has opened every time for us. So professionally, I think that's what it is, is just taking the right next steps when we're getting ready to hire someone um, soon and those kind of things. So that's professionally. And then I think personally right now, it's definitely balancing being a wife and being a mom and doing them both well, because I find myself either being a really good wife 
or being a really good mom. And so just figuring out how to have both feel loved, having my husband feel loved, um, and having my kids feel loved because that, I think that's my happy place is when my family and my staff feel loved. I just feel so full. And I hope that radiates when people meet Joe or I is that we love loving people. So I think that's kind of where I'm at right now is how do I stay in that state? That's the challenge, right? (laughs) Yeah. And not letting little stupid things change that. For me, I've been focusing for the last few years as I work on values-based intentions and living my values that I often fall out of it. And for me, I'm focused on how quickly can I get back into it? So it's not about how many times I fall out of the posture of living the value, but how quickly can I catch myself when I'm out of it and get back into it? Yeah. And not shutting down through it, but reaching out to the people who can help you through that. Like, I, I don't know, I was sharing with you right before the interview how I'm like halfway through Rising Strong, Brene Brown's book, and all of the research, it's so funny, is pointing to I feel like where I am in my life and Rising Strong. What's your second day look like? What's your storytelling? I don't know. It's been really impactful lately for me, just kind of learning to not let circumstances dictate your day, but to let who you are and who you know you are, you want to be, dictate your day. So Meg, what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? I would say enjoy it. I would say I wish I totally journaled my journey. I think part of it is journaled through our blog, not very well, but journal it because when things go tough, it's really fun to look back and see the goodness in the journey. So I would say don't fear failure, but embrace it. And if there's something that you love, go at it with 150% because it's so worth it. I think a lot of people might be thinking about these topics in the back of their head. And and I just thank you for sharing those with us today. Of course. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Meg, thanks for coming on the show. If you'd like to send Meg a message, you can do so on Instagram at MegMadeInc, I-N-C at the end. And if you want to find me, you can find me at Jess C as in Chicago Lively on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. For show notes for today's episode, hop over to JessLively.com slash Meg Piercy. Before I share who's coming up next week on the show, I'd like to share a bit about why I love today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. Okay, FreshBooks. Where do I begin? I've shared it before. I'll share it again. I have been using FreshBooks for four years and love using it. I never thought I'd ever say I love bookkeeping. I don't necessarily love the idea of bookkeeping, but do I love logging into FreshBooks? Absolutely. I've even told my team that I wish that my other software that we're using to keep track of everything was in FreshBooks. If FreshBooks just did all project planning and everything in my life, I would be such a happy camper. I love it so much. In fact, I've even thought about using it for my personal life and just making an account and somehow looking at my profit and loss statement. if you will, the loss being the credit card, I guess, and the profit being my salary. I love it that much. If you are a business owner with a freelance business, please check it out. You get a free 30-day trial by going over to freshbooks.com backslash lively. I love it and I hope you love it as much as I have really enjoyed it. So check it out. And now for a sneak peek, next week on the show, we are having one of the all-time favorite guests, I would say, as far as listener favorites and just, hey, I think she's great too. We're going to have Brooke Castillo back on the show. 
cue the applause. I'm sure so many people are cheering right now that have listened to her episode from last summer, which you can listen to if you haven't already at JessLively.com slash Brooke Castillo. She's a life coach with a podcast called The Life Coach School, and she has TheLifeCoachSchool.com. She and I have become great friends since we last interviewed oh so many months ago. And in this upcoming episode, we're going to be discussing how to feel better Because Brooke feels that whatever we're trying to accomplish in our lives, the idea generally speaking is that we just want to feel better. So she's going to help us do that before we even accomplish those things so that we'll have that feeling betterness while we get to action. So stay tuned for that one. It's a great one. She puts me in the hot seat and really starts to work out the kinks in my own life, which is great because it's a great example of how you can do the same for yourself. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. (laughs) 